You're listening to audio from Grace Community Church in Anger, North Carolina. More information about Grace Community Church can be found at graceccnc.org. Uh, welcome to Grace Community Church, and so glad you decided to be here this morning. We'll get that fixed in just a second. Um, I just wanted to say thanks to the worship team for all the work that they put in. Thank you, Ruth, for that. That was a beautiful song. You can't believe how perfect it is with the message. David can believe it because he figures it all out. But as I'm sitting there hearing it for the first time, I've never heard that song before, just thinking, wow, the message rings so true with the scripture, with the text, with the, with, with the application from the text this morning. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us. Um, I have got several announcements. I'm going to make them really quickly. Uh, but usually one or two things I, I try to say, the first of the message that involve the whole body. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Home group fair right after service. Take the time to get to meet some of these people who are maybe leading home groups in your area. Ask if they have food, how good the cooks are, uh, <laughs> there's child care, um, you know what, how much they'll pay you if you come visit. No, I'm just kidding. Um, so we would love for you to be involved. We, we recognize over the years, new groups for new people always works very well. We've got three new groups starting up. At, Right now, and then we'll have others starting up through the year, uh, feel almost confident. So some of the groups <coughs> are going to be brand new. Get around and talk to the people in your area. I think a couple of new groups in Fuquay, Willow Spring, uh, one group in Lillington. Uh, so check them out this morning. Also, tomorrow night is the first of our classes of the Southwake Bible Institute. Just want to encourage you. If you want to know more about scripture, check it out online, southwakebible.org. Uh, Neil and David are involved in that. I'm actually teaching a class in New Testament epistles this, this year. We've also got a class on discipleship. Some of you who are thinking about seminary, uh, especially if you're thinking about Southeastern, at least one class every semester is going to count for credit. You'll have to go through Southeastern, but... Like I say, check it out. In fact, I really want to invite any of you that would be interested. Tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Fellowship Bible uh, Church in Fuquay. Down, it's just down the street from the Mason Jar. Our chapel uh, is going to sort of kick off this entire ministry. If you're able to come, we'd love for you just to come and sing and worship and just get a feel for what the Lord is going to be doing in this place. We have some outstanding teachers in our area who will be teaching over time. We're trying to get the lesser known, lesser talented teachers out of the way early on this first semester. That's why I'm teaching New Testament class. But then we'll get some really good stuff coming up. And David Calvert, I'm sure we will twist his arm to be teaching a class. But tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. Um, Grace Matters. We have very small groups for Grace Matters. I hope many of you are accessing these online. We had an excellent conversation about the role of women in ministry a couple of weeks ago. You can access that online, listen to it, and start thinking about being here on the fifth Wednesday of the month whenever we have a fifth Wednesday. Uh, parenting class begins in 10 days, so all of you parents, I know you've got it down. That's why we need you to come and tell the rest of us how to do it. Um, grandparents, we want you there as much. Um, as, as we want the parents on, on Wednesday night, uh, 10 days from now. And then last, we have a minimum, really more, but we have a minimum of 10 positions we need to fill immediately in children's ministry. Uh, we, look around, it looks pretty full. You can't imagine what it looks like back there. It's equally full in the back. There are maybe... 230 of us in here today, there are probably 100 children in the back. So uh, we need workers. That is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful challenge to have. So please get involved 
in children's ministry. We have a training session that's coming up immediately after service this morning. Now, look, it, let me just say this quickly. You have to be here four to six months. We really prefer six. Um, we do background checks. We're very careful. We put in all kinds of security measures. We never have an adult alone with kids, if at all possible. We do everything we can to be keep our children safe. Uh, so it takes a while, but look, the training class, you're welcome to come to the training class today. After the service, we have meal, uh, have a meal. I think it's steak and lobster today. Is that right? Um, it, it may be. Just, just show up. We'll see. We'll see. Well, let me quit making announcements and turn to the message. And I want to begin by asking you a question. What changes would you make if you were king or queen of the world? And, and, and especially if you could make one change that would benefit all of mankind, what would it be? Recognizing you're probably not just yet going to cure cancer, but you may want to throw a lot of money that way or eliminate world hunger. We're, we're way better off than we were just 15 years ago as far as hunger is concerned in the world. But you could do more. What, what is the one thing that you would do? Here's another question. <clears throat> if you could change or if you could, if you could choose one thing that you wish people knew about you, what would it be? Now, humble men and women, boys and girls that you are, I know that there's nothing that you just hope someone just happens to notice about you without you having to say it. But if there were one thing about you that you just wish everyone else knew, what would it be? Here's one more. Who is the one person you would love to see go down? <laughs> Look, admit it. They, oh, there's at least one. This, in fact, let me make this a little easier for you. Let's take a public figure and someone that you're connected with. What public figure, athlete, politician, actor, actress, business person, what is the, who is the one person you would like to see go down? And then someone who knows you. Someone who knows you and possibly has hurt you. Who would you like to see, as we used to say, be knocked off of that high horse and hit the ground, going down? Okay, so none of those questions are realistic. And in fact... We understand the danger of allowing our minds to go such places. Let me give you something a little more realistic. If you played the lottery one time with $1 and you won $392 million tax-free dollars, what would you do with it? You may think, well, there's the fantasy question. No, that's, that, that's more likely to happen than you being able to control what goes on everywhere else without grave consequences without courting disaster in your life and in the lives of others as well. Well, if you're new to Grace Community Church, I'm just going to guess that you have discerned we're doing something with the book of Isaiah, the Old Testament book of Isaiah. You, you may be wondering what such ridiculous questions have to do with anything, especially since none of us have ever fantasized about any of those things, right? Certainly, in our day of peace and harmony, we're never happy to see anyone embarrassed, uh, even if, if it's one with whom we gently disagree. Isaiah speaks to all of these issues because these are things that we think about. The book of Isaiah was written by the prophet Isaiah, of course. Some scholars contend that, the, that chapters 1 through 39 were written by Isaiah, and then the rest of the chapters, 40 through 66, were written by an admirer. The reason they think that is because those chapters 40 through 66 uh, indicate or are written as if someone were living in Babylon some 150 years later, 200 years later when the people start coming back. Our position is that Isaiah wrote all 66 chapters and while chapters 40 to 66 were addressed to God's covenant people who would live 100 to 200 years in the future, everything that we have was written by the prophet Isaiah. So to give as quick a review as I can, because I know some of you are brand new to grace, and I just want to do this quickly. Uh, 
let me just start by saying Isaiah is divided into three sections. Isaiah 1 through 39 was written to those who were living in Judah during 740 BC to 681. That's very precise and maybe it's not quite as precise as that, but those are the markers that we have on those chapters. A number of Isaiah's prophecies were directed in person to the king of Judah, the kings of Judah, the three or four kings who lived during his lifetime. There were three he was particularly, probably had him killed. And then um, another one who probably had him killed later uh, in life. We don't know that for sure, but uh, we, there's a good chance Manasseh had Isaiah killed. So a lot of this uh, prophecy in these chapters were consisted of Isaiah saying to the kings, look, don't trust in alliances around you to protect you against some of the other nations that want to destroy you. Let's look at a map uh, of, uh, of, of, of the time when Isaiah lived and when he was talking to the kings. <clears throat> you can see Judah, the, the star of David, represents Jerusalem. You see Judah centrally uh, located on the map, and just above is Israel. What's, what's interesting about that is Israel used to be one nation, uh, and then uh, under kings David and Solomon, but then after Solomon, it divided up into two nations. Israel with the ten tribes went to the north. Judah with um, Benjamin and Judah became known as Judah. Simeon just sort of got swallowed up in, 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 in Judah because it was uh, farther south. So a lot of the time during Isaiah's day, everybody was concerned about Assyria. Assyria was the big bad wolf in that day. And they were swallowing up nation after nation. And so all of these other nations were making alliances with each other. Judah and Israel often made alliances against each other. They, <clears throat> Judah would hook up with with Edom and Philistia to fight Israel because Israel and Syria wanted Judah to fight Assyria. And they, so it's just all of that kind of stuff going on during that time. Uh, but mostly, they just everybody wanted to be protected from Assyria. Uh, you see Babylon over in the southeastern portion of the map. It's, it's not very prominent at this time. And it wasn't prominent when Isaiah wrote chapters 1 through 39, but it would become the dominant nation, which informed Isaiah's writings of chapters 40 through 66. So on the new map, all the nations are the same color, and that's because Babylon had defeated everybody. They had taken captives from Judah. They did it in three different sections. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went in the first wave. And then there was another wave, and then they came in and just destroyed Judah and took a lot of people to Babylon. Uh, in chapters 40 to 55, Isaiah wrote to God's people who were at that time in Babylon, and, and they were wondering if they had been wrong about Yahweh, who had promised them all these wonderful things that were, that, that were going to happen to their nation. That's the section that we're in now. Much of the uh, material in this section, chapters 40 to 55, is repetitive, um, it, which is why today's message is going to cover more than three chapters. We're, we live under this oppression. The primary message that Yahweh gave to his people who would live under this oppressive yoke of Babylonian rule was this, take comfort, comfort, comfort ye my people. I'm going to take care of you. I'm doing something great for you, although it doesn't make sense right now. Just like the song was indicating that message. I'm going to do something great. You can't see it right now, but I'm doing something. Uh, don't blame me for your predicament. Your sins put you in Babylon. It's not that I just said, oh, I'm tired of them. I'm going to put them. No, your sins put you in Babylon, but I'm going to deliver you and fulfill all the promises I gave earlier when I told you that a shoot from a stump in the woods that had been cut down and then burned, a shoot's going to rise out of that stump of Jesse, and he's going to be the one to fully deliver you, my people. There is going to be a branch with beautiful fruit. 
the shoot from the stump of Jesse, as we now know, was Jesus that he was talking about. The suffering servant who finally got right what God's people were incapable of getting right because of their sin. God puts out this law. He says, now live by the law. We'll do it, God, and <coughs> blood be on us if we fail to do it. Well, none of us fully keep the law, do we? We always fail. We, all, we think we've got, <laughs> got this down now, and I can do this. But at some point, we always find ourselves falling short. And that's why God sent his son, Jesus, to get right what we could not get right. The last section of Isaiah, chapters 56 to 66, was written to Israelites coming back from captivity and to all people going forward from that time. So if all Isaiah was written before Jesus lived and, and, and people messed up and, and, and of course they couldn't get it right because Christ hadn't come, died for sins, and we hadn't been indwelled by the Holy Spirit, does it really have anything to say to us? It absolutely does. We have the same tendencies that human beings have always had before and after Jesus. The difference is that in Christ, we are different people with God's Holy Spirit living inside us, giving us comfort and guidance and strength not available before Pentecost. So today's text is Isaiah 44, 24 through 48, 22. In other words, a long section. And there's no way we're going to cover a whole lot of this. Hopefully, though, a summary will speak to our hearts in the same way God intended to speak to his people who were hurting while not living in the place God had designed for them to live. Just imagine the place that you would least want to live anywhere in the whole world. What if all of a sudden somebody comes in the middle of the night, takes you out of your, out of your bed, sleeping peacefully in your bed, and, and puts a hood over your head or puts chains on you, and they march you to this place that you absolutely don't want to go? Well, that's where the people of God were. And we're pilgrims here, right? Yeah, but do you feel less and less at home in this land? I do. This is not the way it's supposed to be. If you were God's child through repentance and faith in Jesus, this is not your eternal home. Let me clarify that. We will live in the new heavens and the new earth. And look, does God blow it all up and start again? Probably not. I, I think he cleanses the earth and all of the sin <laughs> that, that's affected creation as well as it has us just is burned up, but, but God reestablishes this earth in the way that it was when it was first created. Right now, we are under a sinful, under the dominion. It's, we live in a sinful state under the dominion of Satan. And even though Satan is called the God of this world, and the prince of the power of the air, he's under God's sovereignty. And the lesson we are called to learn and obey today is that God is in control. And we should therefore learn to trust him, even when life makes no sense at all. In fact, let me just challenge you, whatever you're reading in scripture, see if that's not, that's not the lesson. Trust me. But God, how can, trust me. Trust. Today's reading is Isaiah 45, 1 through 6. It's a small portion of the text being covered today. It's a point, it's a place where God is addressing King Cyrus of Persia. And he's essentially saying to Cyrus, I'm going to use you to deliver my people. It's right in the middle of this large text, or it really it's near the beginning of this large text, but it it's an important foundation for us to understand as we move forward in this message, resting in God's sovereignty. It is our custom to stand out of respect for God's word as the scripture is being read. So I'll ask you, if you would, to please stand. I will be reading from the English Standard Version. Isaiah 45. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, if you're a careful student of the word, this should make you say, what? 
Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, pagan king Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings, to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. I will go before you and level the exalted places. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and the hordes in secret places that you may know, that you, Cyrus, may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none besides me. I am the Lord there is no other. Let's pray. Father, um, we we agree because you have put with your word. We affirm your word because you have put it in our hearts to do so. And This precious word in which you have revealed not only yourself to us, but some of your ways that help us to trust in dark times is a gift to us. And we are grateful for the gift that you have given us in the word of Christ. May the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, be exalted in our midst this morning. As all scripture points to him, the only true hero of the Bible, the only savior, the only anointed one who can save. In his name we ask these things. Amen. Thank you. Be seated. There are four points of application for the four plus chapters covered this morning. I would typically give a lot more explanation and foundational background to the application points that are made. But as I've mentioned, a lot of this material that we're seeing today, we've been seeing for the last several weeks in particular, covering a lot of the same ground. If you've been here, you'll recognize the truth undergirding the application. And if you're new, uh, just beginning at Grace, I'm just going to ask you to trust that the the truth is there that lays the foundation for the application. We're going to begin with this. We're not smart enough. We are not smart enough to run our own lives, much less are we smart enough to run the world. Rest, therefore, in God's sovereignty. Throughout Isaiah 40 to 44, God promised that he would deliver the people of Judah from Babylonian Oppression. He had not told him how he was going to do it. He just said, look, I'm going to deliver you. Just trust me how I'm going to do it. Building up. And now he says, let me tell you how I'm going to do it. Late in chapter 44 and early in 45, God names his choice as deliverer of his people. Cyrus, king of Persia. The problem God's people had with that. Arrangement may well have been that they expected God's Messiah to arise in their midst and overthrow Babylonian oppression, even though they were few in number. Look, when God's in the middle of something, he can do anything he wants, right? That's probably what they were expected. The people of Judah, the people of Israel had begun to anticipate the Messiah who would come and make all things right and lead God's people with a strong hand, but a gracious and a loving and a tender heart. And so they expected him to come from within, right? To say that Cyrus would be the deliverer was a shock. Now that's an understatement. Especially when God called him his shepherd in Isaiah 44, 28, and his anointed in 45, 1. God ascribed messianic 
qualities to Cyrus. This was unexpected. Yet in Ezra 1, Cyrus issues a decree saying that Yahweh, Yahweh has made me ruler and given me all the kingdoms of the earth and he has appointed me to build a house for him in Jerusalem. A lot of people speculate that Cyrus read these writings of Isaiah that had been written some one, two hundred years earlier and said, guess that's me. And he's now making this proclamation. The, the Judeans had lived as captives in Babylon for a long time. They, they were there for 70 years. They had plenty of time to, con time to contemplate the sins that had taken them in chains, naked in chains to a foreign land. It was humiliating. By the way, just, just a word about ancient times. They had progressed in that day. They would do that. They would take men and women in chains to the new country. But, but when God said to the people of Israel who were coming out of Egypt, go into the land and, and kill every man, woman, and child. It was the order of the day. Every nation, most nations did that. When they would come in, they'd kill everybody except the young virgin women, and they'd bring them back, and they would just be absorbed into the, into the nation. When God told Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, and sacrifice him, and Abraham did that. It was the order of the day. All those who worshipped Molech knew that this call could come at any time. Abraham didn't worship Molech. But what God was doing was, was bringing Abraham. First of all, he's saying, trust me, Abraham. I know this makes no sense to you. Abraham gets up there ready to plunge the knife. And the angel says, don't do that. Yahweh is not like that. He's not like other gods. Time and again, God proved himself. Not only to be different, but now in Isaiah, he's saying, I'm the only God. And you may think that because these kings are moving people all around, that they're in charge. I want to tell you, I am in charge. I am the one who will accomplish my will by using whomever I will. But Cyrus? Cyrus? Really? He's the shepherd? The anointed one? It's easy for us to feel almost as confused in our own lives. I mean, God has given us ample instruction for human flourishing. You want to flourish as a human being, here's how you do it. We got the same issue that the Israelites have. We're sinful. And we, we don't do too well managing our own lives. But somehow we think we're capable of managing the world. That doesn't mean, look, I'm, I'm not encouraging you to just live passively and let life happen as it will. We are called, just like Isaiah, to call out injustice and drunkenness and, and, and mistreatment of people. Do not stand for those things and idolatry, especially when we interact with God's covenant people. We're called to help one another stay pure in our walk with the Lord and in our treatment of those in and out of the body. But sinful as we are, we need to be careful in our attempts to organize the lives of others. One of the things that you notice, back in the day, I guess everybody would just sort of be aware of this. You, 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 like, wait a minute, that, that is totally opposite of what you were saying last week. Well, now... It's just the order of the day. We're very inconsistent. Whatever's the latest thing going on, we jump in and say, well, the world needs to be a better place, and here's the way we... Here's the only way the world is going to be a better place of social justice that are absolutely called to all of the areas of, of social justice that are of such concern today. You're absolutely... Don't you ever allow someone to be mistreated because of gender or race or, or, or what have you. But as sinful as we are, we've got to be careful about pointing fingers and saying, if you didn't exist, this world would be a better place. Or if your kind didn't exist. Think about something that has gone really badly for you in the last few years. Maybe even the last few weeks. Did you have at least a little part in your unfortunate circumstances? Probably, but maybe not. 
a lot of times when things go bad for me, I, I, I want to blame it on somebody else, but really, just, as often as not, I'm the cause of it, or at least a little portion. Even if we do everything right, we will still suffer. Jesus said that the rain falls on the just and the unjust alike, and we can trust him. And when your faith is weak and when you're so discouraged about the inequality that you see everywhere and you just can't make sense of it, pray to the Lord something like this. Father, I honestly do not know that I can say the words, I believe. Give me the faith to trust you. I know that the God of the earth will always do what is right but I just don't get it right now. I don't understand things right now. I believe, help my unbelief. Amen. Second, we are incapable of handling criticism, much less praise. Therefore, exult in God's glory. If we've seen one theme these last three to four weeks in Isaiah, it is the tendency the consistent tendency of human beings to create a God in their own image. And, and for us, it's not that we desire to take wood or metal and fashion it into a God to whom we will bow and worship. But we want a God who looks a whole lot like us. I, I love clever commercials. And, and perhaps if I started telling you all the commercials I think are clever, you might say, well, you're not so clever, you know, after all. Well, you think that's clever, do you? I think it's pretty clever, the Discover Card commercial, you know, where the guy calls up and he says, I want the card, but I'm not paying the fees. And the other guy on the, uh, the, guy on the other end of the phone is himself. It's himself saying, hey, I agree with you 100%. You do? Man, I, I prepared that speech for a long time. Yeah, when we're in sync. And, of course, and that's what we want. We want a God who looks a whole lot like us. And we want a, a God to say, cool, I'm with you on that. I agree with you. Everything you say is exactly the way I believe. Why? Because, of, oh, well, gosh, that's me. It is not enough for us to make God in our own image. We want to be God and exercise full control over our lives. And as in the first point, we want to exercise full control over others' lives as well. How's that working out for you? Parents, husbands, wives, how's that working out for you? You know, controlling everybody else. It just doesn't, we can't do it. We don't even have control over our own lives. And sometimes circumstances happen that just throw everything off. And we look up at that point and say, what's going on? And maybe one of the very reasons things go out of control is so we will look up. Just imagine what problems there would be if you could have the kind of control over life that talk, we've been talking about, where you could say, okay, this is going to be the one priority we're going to focus on for the world more than anything else, or, you know, here's something I wish people knew about me, or, or here's the person that I want to take down, this person needs taken down. Just think if you had that kind of control. Um, there are multiple problems with such control and a much bigger problem than you would imagine at this point would be how if you had God-like powers, how many people would hate you and criticize you and question everything you did. But worse than that, others would be praising and worshiping you all the time. If you think it's hard to handle criticism, and it is for most of us, Imagine trying to handle unending, unfettered praise. How many kings in the Old Testament were in the period of the Old Testament kings in the book of Isaiah? How many of those kings started out really well, but after they were established, after this led to their downfall? Become great, the pride of their hearts led to their downfall. Proverbs 16, 18, you know it. You, you could say it. For me, pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 
this week, home groups will be discussing what Scripture says about pride and humility. Humility is not highly valued in our day. I'll say it again. I say it a lot. It's never a bad thing to be in a place where you're forced to be humble. When something happens and you have to be humble, that's not a bad thing. We get humility and humiliation confused, though, and we're saying, oh, I'm so humiliated. No, don't, don't think like that. Just be humble. Just be humble. And, 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 and what's the key to humility? Uh, let me see. Oh, yeah, trusting God. He's going to take care. Trust the Lord. He's going to take care of things. So humility is not highly valued in our day. Ambition, ambition, which we applaud in our culture. It's made us who we are, right? Was not always considered a virtue. Probably because most people associated ambition with pride and a desire to dominate or control others. When you read in Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. You need to recognize that the word selfish has been added into our English translations. It was added to qualify the kind of ambition we're talking about and, and, and distinguish between noble ambition and selfish ambition. You know when we made this switch? Somewhere around 200 years ago. Before that, pretty much people considered ambition a sinful thing. Look, we recognize, do we not? We recognize how ambition can easily go astray when we want to do good things for other people. Ambition can get us in trouble if we're not careful. Again, none of this is saying be passive in your life. It is saying, be careful. Be careful. For now, the third point of application is, we are incapable of exacting measured revenge, whatever that means, on our enemies without doing great damage to our own souls. Leave revenge in God's capable hands. You know it. You know what I'm talking about. All right, you mess with me, I'm going to mess with you. And I think this is a fair messing about here, okay? Uh, you mess with me that way, I'm going to mess with And a lot of people, of course, say, you do this to me, I'm going to do worse to you. And you'll think twice before you mess with me again. <laughs> Who are we hurting doing that? We're hurting ourselves. That's really easy to see until somebody has messed badly with you. Then it's extremely difficult, and understandably so in many cases. Look, this truth is not spelled out in the text, but it is implied, and it's all over Scripture. The Babylonians were brutal in their treatment of God's covenant people. And while we would have understood the impulse to retaliate in kind if they had any way, <clears throat> the interesting thing about Jesus as Messiah, nobody expected Jesus to come as the suffering servant, although we're going to see that in just a few weeks in Isaiah 53. But they were looking for a conqueror, a ruler, and they were like, yeah, let's get, let's get on our horses and go with him into battle. He's going to lead us, and God's sword is going to destroy our enemies. And he didn't come that way at all. He came in humility. And he let people do the things that he did, that they did to him. Now, when he comes back the next time, he's going to take care of business. But interesting that he came first in humility and reminded us he is God and we are not. And sometimes he doesn't do things the way we expect. And when we spend our lives plotting revenge, we ruin them. In Isaiah 47, God tells his people that he will punish Babylon for its mistreatment of them. Look, when you talk about war and security on a national and an international level... You're thinking about, you're discussing complex 
issues. Just war theory, state responsibilities, individual responsibilities. It is not as simple as you may assume. Do we affirm the French resistance who fought Nazi Germany any way that they could? Even just, you know, it's like shooting a BB gun and, and then hiding, running away and hiding. But do we affirm? Absolutely we do. Hitler was a monster and he was destroying people, millions of people every year. <clears throat> 50 million people died in World War II. 50 million because of one madman. So yes, we, we affirm the French resistance. What about Bonhoeffer trying to assassinate Hitler? It's complicated stuff. You can't just say, oh, this is the way life ought to be. Many of the social issues we support or oppose in our day have, have more complex for solution, solutions excuse me, for believers than they do for unbelievers. Look, if, if, if we were living in Paul's day, what was his, what was his word to believers? <clears throat> Obey Caesar unless you are required to say anything other than Jesus is Lord. If you must say Caesar is Lord, then you be willing to die for that. But short of that, whenever you can, obey the government. So all of our talk about, we're not, I'm not going to pay taxes for this, I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to support the system as long as it's screwed up this way. Look, if we were living under totalitarian rule, there would be a lot less things than we think are, are, are essential right now then. Because we would have to make a decision. Every decision, every day we'd be making life and death, death decisions. We have a beautiful freedom in our country to speak out. But it does complicate things for believers, if that makes sense. So not nearly as many issues rise to the level of pledging allegiance to someone other than Jesus. Now, many arise that you would think of living under democratic rule. When Jesus said to turn the other cheek and to go the extra mile, when your enemy compels you to go a mile, to whom was he talking? What did he to what did he refer? How do we make sense of that? Here's the deal in that day. <clears throat> um, a Roman soldier could come along and say, Hey, Jew, carry my bag a mile. Now, do you think most Jews knew how long a mile was? <laughs> they knew exactly. And by law, drop those bags and say, walk away. Now, can you imagine? Hey, Jew, carry me. But this is a Christian Jew. Get to them. Okay, you're done. No, no, sir, I'll go another mile. Don't, do we come anywhere close to that? I don't, maybe you do. If a brother or sister in Christ hits you on the cheek, should you, should you turn the other cheek? <clears throat> Look, if a brother or sister hits you on the cheek, then we've got a church as brothers and sisters in Christ. What's going on, guys? You can't do this. You can't live like this as brothers and sisters in Christ. But if, <clears throat> if someone in the world strikes you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. We are called to forgive both our enemies outside the church and our brothers and sisters within the, within the body. We all know the dangers of a bitter and vengeful spirit. So how is it that committed believers find great comfort in nursing their wounds that others have inflicted upon them as they plot their revenge? Well, just ask me tomorrow and I'm sure I'll be able to tell you how it is we find great comfort in that. Because we're all prone to it. We're all given to it. <clears throat> Have you ever noticed the things that you say or do in a, in a moment that seems so cathartic? You give somebody a piece of your mind. And it feels so good. But I mean before the words are even out of your mouth. You start regretting what you've said. It's like. I thought I was going to feel so good saying that, and I feel so lousy. I'd lots rather you feel <clears throat> that regret than find pleasure <clears throat> that you have put someone in his or her place. Or you're thrilled to see someone <clears throat> who has hurt you. <sighs> yeah. 
someone who has hurt you or someone with whom you disagree, humiliated. It's difficult, isn't it? What a beautiful thing to know that our Heavenly Father is always watching out for us. And sometimes he's using Cyrus to take care of the things that have been done against us. <clears throat> Trust God to take care of those who mistreat you. And then last, every, well, let me read the point first. We are incapable of saving ourselves. Best to throw ourselves on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb of Isaiah 53, who was also the savior before whom every knee will bow in Isaiah 45. He won't be the savior to everyone, but every knee <coughs> will bow at that time. I'm so sorry for doing that. Every Sunday, believers are called to worship the Lord together. Every Sunday, we are reminded of truths that both prepare us for eternity and increasingly shape us into the image of Christ in this life. If we are reminded of nothing else on Sunday, we must not leave thinking that we can save ourselves. We must not think, it's up to me now. If I'm going to be right with God, it's up to me. It's up to you to yield and trust Him. And to be in his word and to let the Holy Spirit have his way in your life. It is not up for you to strap your boots on and do the best you can. And hopefully you'll be able to save yourself. <clears throat> if God does not save us through Jesus, we will not be saved. In these next several weeks, we're going to see three of the four servant songs. We already <clears throat> had one in Isaiah 42. <clears throat> I believe it was Isaiah 42. We're going to see the other three in the next few weeks. Um, and we're going to see the extent of Jesus' suffering and everything that that meant when the Father poured out his wrath on his Son. So that we could be declared righteous and live eternally. And if that doesn't make sense to you now, let me just encourage you. If you want to think about it a little bit more, commit for maybe just the next month to come to grace and, and, and we'll dive deeply into the truth of why and how God saves us. When you attend home groups, which we're going to feature in just a few minutes as we leave here, <clears throat> your knowledge and faith is likely to grow exponentially as your commitment to the Lord and His Word increases. So I want to close this morning by reading Isaiah 45, 20 to 25 as a summary of the truth that we've pondered today. In this text, God invites not only the people of Israel, but all the peoples of the earth to renounce their idols and turn to him for salvation. Isaiah 45, beginning in verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you sur survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told us long ago? Who declared it of old? If there's a better God out there, let him speak. <clears throat> Was it not I, the Lord? In other words, there is no other God out there. Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Turn to me. And be saved. All the ends of the earth. Another surprising thing that the Jews heard. I, anybody in the earth turn to me. For I have sworn from my mouth no other. By myself I have sworn from my mouth has gone out in righteous, righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow. Every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in the Lord, it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were increased or incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel and brothers and sisters in Christ, you are included in the offspring of Israel. Galatians makes very clear the seed of Abraham was Jesus, not <clears throat> Just the people of Israel, but Jesus. And all who believe in Jesus are, are spiritual and true Israel. In the Lord, all the offspring 
of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Let's pray. Father, it is our desire to live in ways that please you. It is our desire to serve you faithfully and passionately. It is our desire that life go well for us and those that we love. And sometimes things go very badly. And then it is our temptation to question you and to turn away from you. Lord, may it not be so in our lives. Please protect us from ourselves. Lord, when we think about you saving us through Christ, we have to acknowledge that it's not that Jesus came to, to, to die and be raised again in order to save us from ourselves, but to save us from you. Because your wrath had to be poured out against sin. Thank you, Father, for your great plan. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth and dying in our place. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for helping all of this to make sense to us. First, in the word that you led men to write through the years. And then... And helping us understand that word. Father, Son, and Spirit, we praise you. We believe. Help our unbelief. Help us to trust you. In the bright places and the dark places. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Grace Community Church. Located in North Carolina. Feel free to make copies of this audio content to share with others. But please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. For more information about Grace Community Church, go to graceccnc.org.